Good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name's Rachel. I'm part of the team here, and um, I'm preaching this morning. And we are continuing our, our theme of essentials. What are the essentials of the Christian faith? What are the, the basics, I guess, that we really need to get hold of if we're going to be disciples, not just people who know about Jesus, who think being a Christian is kind of, you know, yeah, that's a thing, but actually we want to be disciples, followers of Jesus, who fix our eyes on him. And I'm talking about being forgiven and what that means for us as forgiven people who can then forgive others. And now, I don't know if you caught the news. Some of you might not even know this, this guy, but um, Tim Keller, who some of you will know, died on Friday. And if you know Tim Keller, he, is, he was an incredible Jesus-loving apologist, church leader, church planter, shepherd, um, gospel-loving man. And in a, in a culture, in a society where Christian leaders seem to be falling um, around us, Tim Keller was one of those men that just seemed to be able to navigate um, leadership and pressure humbly and lovingly. And it was all about Jesus for him. And uh, yeah, he's going to be greatly missed. I've read quite a few of his books. I really enjoyed his preaching and his teaching. And uh, yes, I felt sad on Friday to hear that, but also bittersweet because he's now with the Lord. And uh, he was ready to go. And yeah, so his last words were, I'm ready to meet Jesus. Apparently, amazing. But I've been thinking about Tim um, this week because I knew he was really poorly. And uh, I came across this quote of his, which I thought I would share with you as it sets up this sermon nicely. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. How flawed do you feel this morning? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> because we are all flawed, aren't we? We are all deeply flawed. I'm deeply flawed. We all are. We all have this sort of like this um, fault line running through us, which means we are deeply flawed humans. And we can try and convince ourselves that we're quite nice and we're quite good and we're doing okay. But in the reality, when we kind of take a long, hard look at ourselves in the cold light of day, we know we're flawed. We're like that shopping trolley in Tesco's that just keeps going the wrong way and they're pushing it round. And they spend the whole time like, going, oh, I'm trying to get, it just wants to go left the whole time. It's so annoying. Or maybe just, do I always seem to get that one? Um, I think they have them in Waitrose as well. Same thing. <laughs> just saying, if you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> We are, we're like that shopping trolley, we're deeply, deeply flawed, but we are also deeply, deeply loved by Jesus, which is a wonderful, wonderful truth. We can sometimes get lulled into a false sense of security that we're doing well, and then something that can pop up in us, and you know, things like pride and jealousy and self-centeredness, and all the things that we... Some, some of them are like unique to us because of our makeup and personality. Some of them are just because we're human and we're breathing that we experience those, those sorts of things. But the truth of the gospel is we are deeply loved and we are also wonderfully forgiven 
because of Jesus' death on the cross. And when we know we are forgiven, when we've experienced that, and you know, there's nothing more wonderful than when you know you have really messed up and you come to God and you say, I'm sorry, God, for what I've done. Please forgive me. And you experience that sort of weight of guilt being lifted from your shoulders. It is a wonderful, wonderful truth to know that we are clean. We have a fresh start and a new beginning in those moments. It is a beautiful thing. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a truth right there. That a beautiful exchange happens when we know Jesus, that we can say sorry to God for our sin and he removes it from us and we are forgiven each time. He doesn't keep a record of our sins, the Bible says. I keep a record of people's sins. Not all of you, obviously. But, you know, the people that my nearest and dearest. <laughs> Not really. But, you know, it's easy, isn't it, to remember what's been done. But Jesus says here, we're cleansed from our sin. We are forgiven. And it's a wonderful thing to know that we are forgiven when we have been forgiven and we experience that. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just say, yeah, you, you've been forgiven. Because of my death on the cross, I've welcomed you into this relationship of forgiveness, which is wonderful. He also takes it a step further and he asks us to be people that forgive, forgive other people. He connects the two all the time in the New Testament. If you think about the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that he's taught us to pray, he says this in, in Luke, forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. There is a really intrinsic connection between being forgiven by Jesus and forgiving those people who have wronged us. You cannot get away from it in Scripture. We try to fudge it and dodge it as people because it can be really hard teaching. But the truth is Jesus doesn't allow us to if we read the Bible because he connects the two. If you know that you're forgiven, he's asking you to forgive other people. And it is a really hard teaching. At the 9.15 service, there was a little bit of a dialogue with the kids, with Christina and Nigel, and they were talking about that. And they kept going, this is a really hard thing to do. This is a really hard thing to do. I'm like, yes, it is a really hard thing to do. It is hard. It is hard. But you can't get away from it. And you can't say, well, because it's hard, I'm not meant to, I don't have to do it. Because it's hard, I can kind of skirt around it. Because it's painful and costly, it doesn't really apply to me. Because Jesus doesn't give us the option. Not because he wants to be mean and make us do hard things. It's because he knows what is best for us. Because he knows what is the currency of the kingdom of God. Because he knows that's what he's done. And that's what he's inviting us into. He tells this parable to reinforce this teaching in Matthew 18, and I'm, it's going to come up on the screen, and I'm going to read it to you. It's quite full on, just, just warning you. It's quite, Jesus is in a strong teaching mode, just going to say that, buckle up. 
Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? That was kind of an Old Testament teaching that, that he's referring to. It's not just a random number. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master, he, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, much less. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Strong teaching. Did say that, didn't I? Just warning you. Jesus was in a strong teaching mode. He's trying to make the really kind of point that he, he kind of has in, in the New Testament. He's trying to enforce it, I guess, by telling a really strong story about mercy, about forgiveness, and about unforgiveness and prison. And he's trying to make the point, he's trying to draw, kind of draw us in, I guess, for us to celebrate the generosity of the king. The king who was owed, actually, I mean, it doesn't come out so much in that, in that um, translation, but in, in one translation it says he had a massive debt of 10,000 talents, that's what it talks about, which is the equivalent of more than 100 million pounds. So that first servant owed the king, the leader, um, his master, so much money. He was never, ever going to be able to pay it back. It was an insurmountable, enormous debt that he owed that he was never going to pay back. No, please give me time, I'll pay it back. That was never going to happen. It was impossible. But he shows him incredible mercy by wiping the debt away. Not even saying, well, I'll extend the time that you can pay it back. You know, we'll come to some arrangement. You can do a bit here, a bit there. It wasn't your fault. He just wipes it clean, says you're free. The debt is gone, totally. It's as if it was never there. And we're drawn in to think, oh, wow, how merciful he is. I, I would be like that, you know, that sort of, I'm not saying I would. I'm saying, you know, we can read that story and think, yeah, I'd be merciful like that. I would do that. I, I would wipe away that debt. And then the same servant goes out and he's like, gets his, his fellow servant in a stranglehold and saying, actually, you owe me like 50 quid. Pay me back that debt. I'm not going to let you off. And we're like, wow, what is this guy on? How can he be so ungrateful? 
He's experienced amazing mercy, and yet he's not showing it. Who does that? And then suddenly we kind of draw ourselves into the story a bit more, and we're like, actually, I get it. I get it. Because when we're wronged, we do feel that sense of injustice and entitlement, and that shouldn't have happened to me, and that's wrong. They've wronged me. That was not acceptable. You shouldn't be doing that. And we can operate from that sort of place rather than the place of, I've been shown great mercy. I need to show great mercy to you. Sometimes it feels very justifiable, doesn't it, not to forgive other people. Maybe it's just me, but I can feel that. I can feel like, actually, what has been done is not on. It's not, that behavior is not acceptable, or, or that thing that was said to me is not, they shouldn't have done that, or that thing that was done, that wasn't right. And you can feel just justified in your anger and in your kind of like slight resentment, in your kind of those in feelings of a sort of entitlement to feel judgy. That is kind of so normal and quick to come, isn't it? I don't know, please someone nod. Nobody, yeah, yeah, okay. I'm thinking, wow, these guys are so sorted. <laughs> they didn't need this sermon at all. <laughs> I'm just preaching to myself. We can, we kind of get there in a split second, don't we? Because it's like all those things come rushing in. But the interesting bit in this story is that the guy that was shown masses of mercy ends up in prison. He ends up in prison. Being tortured is horrible. Unforgiveness can lead us to a place of imprisonment and torture, inner torture, inner turmoil, inner torment. For those of you that might be battling with unforgiveness today, you will know, and it will resonate with you, that it's not a good place to be. It's not a comfortable place to be. It's not a whole place to be. It's not a freeing place to be. Because it leads us to a place of disharmony in ourselves, bitterness, resentment. And we sometimes think we can keep that stuff under wraps. We can kind of keep it hidden. But the reality is it seeps out of us. And it seeps out of us in our relationships with other people. It seeps out of us in our interactions with people. It seeps out of us when we're under pressure, you know, and life's not great. And suddenly we're like overreacting or being super critical or we're kind of like the pressure is kind of causing the stuff, the dysfunction in us to kind of come out in other ways. And so the guy ends up in prison, but that's, what, that's where unforgiveness leads us. Not physical prison, but a prison that kind of is in our heads and in our hearts. And that's what Tim Keller, you know, is talking about when he's saying, you know, we are deeply flawed. Yes, we are. But we are deeply forgiven. And forgiven people can forgive other people. It might feel really hard to do that. But it is what God calls us to do. And if he calls us to do something, it's because he knows we can do it in his strength. I read this other quote that Tim Keller talked about, actually. It was not a quote. It was more like his, as an idea. And he talks about the fact that forgiving others is, is like a form of suffering. And what he means by that is that when we, are, when we have been wronged and we make the decision, we make the choice to forgive the person that has wronged us, that can actually feel really, really hard. 
it can feel almost like we're suffering even to come to that decision and make that choice. And you know what? When we do that, we are in really good company because Jesus forgave us from a place of suffering. As he hung on the cross with his arms stretched and he looked down at those that were nailing him to the cross and had, had got into this point, he says, Father, forgive them, the Roman soldiers. They don't know what they're doing. So in that moment, he's forgiving them, but also he's forgiving the universe. He's forgiving the world and all of our sin that nailed him to that cross. So when we're forgiving others and it feels like we are suffering in that moment, in that choice, in that decision, it feels hard and painful, we are in such good company because that's what Jesus chose and that's what Jesus does. And that's what Jesus calls us to. And when I thought about that, actually that was quite comforting. Because forgiveness can be really hard. And it can feel like you're in pain choosing to forgive. But Jesus was in pain when he chose to forgive. And the forgiveness that we receive comes from his suffering. I'm going to talk a bit about a little bit of my story of forgiving, and many of you will have heard this story before. So I kind of apologize for telling it again. But in the telling it again, it reinforces the idea and the, the truth that forgiveness is something we all need to work out and move forward in. And even in the retelling of my own story, I'm retelling it to myself, if you know what I mean as well as telling it to you. And so some of you will know that one of my sons was killed in a hit-and-run incident 13 years ago. And obviously that was very traumatic, is still very traumatic and difficult for us as a family to navigate. We miss Sam every day, and his gap in our lives is always there. And we are learning and have learned how to navigate life without him until we see him again. But there was one particular incident that I remember so, so clearly. And I had been dropping off the kids at various play dates, and uh, I was driving back home after dropping them off. And I glanced back in my rearview mirror to the, to the seats, the empty seats behind me, and I could see the seat where Sam always sat. Because the kids always sat in the same seats. I don't know, that's the thing. And I saw that Sam wasn't there. And I immediately felt this wave of grief and emotion sort of sweep over me. And as I was driving the car, I remembered that that's how he died. A car hit him and he died instantly. And then I thought about the person that was driving the car. I was like, how could she have been so stupid? How could her choices, the fallout from her broken life, how could that have fallen out onto our lives? Why did God allow that? How stupid she was, how, how bad she was, and it was way worse than that. The, I'm kind of toning it down, making it a PG. But, you know, it was bad. It was bad. In my head, it was bad. And I felt this rage and this hatred and this anger begin to rise in me as I thought about her and what she'd done to our family. And I, in that moment, I hated her. 
I hated her, and I thought if I saw her, I would run her over. I would let her know how, how it feels. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, but this is what happens when we get into this place of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. Our thoughts go haywire, take us to a place that we should never go to. And I began to cry, and it was horrible, and I felt anger and hatred for her. And as I drove, I kind of like caught sight of myself and where I was at, and I, it was scary. I didn't kind of recognize what was going on inside of me. I'd never experienced anything like this before. And I was scared of what it was going to lead me to and where it was going to lead me to, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And so in my desperation, I cried out to God. I, just, I think I just said, I'm like, God, please help me. It wasn't really formed words as such. It was just a desperate cry to God for help. And then the words of the Lord's Prayer popped into my mind. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. And in that moment, I knew that I was forgiven for all of my sin, for even that sin that was going on in me in that moment in the car. And I knew that I was forgiven and that what God was asking me to do was to keep forgiving her. And I just said to God, it's really hard. Please help me forgive her. And I've prayed that prayer lots over the years. It wasn't done and dusted in one moment. It is a journey of forgiveness. But in that moment, I met with God in my car. And as I prayed that prayer, I felt the peace of God come into me from my head, literally all the way through my body. And as that happened, my, my tears sort of subsided my anger went down, and I just literally felt at peace in that moment, and I knew that I was on a journey of forgiveness, and God was helping me to forgive her. Nelson Mandela, incredible, incredible man, spent 27 years in a tiny cell as a result of standing up to the evil of apartheid says this, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. But what in fact does happen is not forgiving someone is like us drinking the poison and that slowly causing us to shrivel up and die. Forgiveness is always what God is calling us to Forgiveness is always what Jesus wants for us, to be forgiven and to offer forgiveness. That is what he's calling us to be and to, and, and to do. We can't sidestep it if we want to be followers of Jesus. And as I finish, I just want to end by saying three things that forgiveness doesn't mean and three things that I believe forgiveness does mean. Firstly, forgiveness doesn't mean we don't take time to acknowledge the pain that was done to us. We brush it under the carpet, say it doesn't matter, it's all okay. We can be very British about it, it's fine, it's fine, when really it's not. Forgiveness doesn't mean that. 
we actually have to acknowledge our distress, our pain and our suffering and the harm that is done to us. And there are lots of ways you can do that, but it's important that we don't just pretend it isn't a thing when it really is a thing. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we forget what's been done. We can't forget sometimes some of the things that are done to us. We can't, some things we will forget. I forget a lot of things. But some things we will not ever forget. But forgiveness means that their pain and their sting subsides as God heals us and as we let the person go, we let them off the hook, to use that expression. Forgiveness doesn't mean we automatically have reconciliation with the person that has harmed us, who has done something to us. Sometimes it's not appropriate, sometimes it's not possible, sometimes it's not safe, sometimes it's not the right thing to be reconciled. Sometimes God does incredible miracles of reconciliation in the most desperate, difficult circumstances, and God does do that. There are plenty of stories where God does that. Corrie ten Boom shaking the hand of the SS security guard that was responsible for killing her sister. That is a beautiful story of reconciliation, powerful story of reconciliation. But sometimes that is not going to happen for lots of reasons. Forgiveness does mean we take Jesus' command seriously to forgive. We work at it, we study it, we read books about it, we pray about it, we hold ourselves accountable to other people. We don't, we don't keep our unforgiveness a secret, but we tell other people and say, please help us with that. It might mean coming to communion in a moment and asking someone to stand with you and pray for you as you say, actually, I'm struggling to forgive this person, but I want to make this step and say, I'm going to try. I'm going to ask God for God's help. It means being serious and having intent to work towards a being a person who is a forgiving person. Secondly, it means choosing to forgive and asking for God's power to help you to do it. We can't do this in our own strength, in our own resilience, in our own kind of posit positive thinking. Some people can, most of us can't. We forgive in the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask our spirit to come and help us to give us that, that energy, that power, that perspective, that fruit, those fruits, that gift of power that only he can give us to enable us to, to forgive the person that has really wronged us. He's not asking us to do it in our own strength. He's asking us to do it in his strength. And thirdly, forgiveness means recognizing the hurt and damage that we've experienced and inviting God's spirit to heal our wounded places and spaces in our lives. Asking God's spirit to bring about his healing his freedom so that we can be not the people in prison kept there in bitterness and our own unforgiveness but be with people that are free free to live the lives that God has called us to do free to work on our, free, our wholeness journeys so that we can love other people like Christ has loved us and that's the vision I guess that I'm calling us to as a church to be forgiven people that can forgive other people. And it is hard, yes it is, but there is power to do that. And there is a calling that we have to be people in this world, in this city, in our schools, in our universities, in our places of work that are not gonna hold grudges, are not gonna be bitter and twisted, are not gonna be gossiping, are not gonna kind of be resentful, but we're gonna be free free to forgive those that have wronged us, 
free to be able to bless those that have hurt us, free to be people that ask God's power and spirit to come and heal us in those painful, wounded places. Only God can do that. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. That's what he's asking us to do. Let's pray together. It may be that you're here and you are struggling to forgive somebody. I get it. But this morning, the Holy Spirit is asking you to take a step of faith. He talked about faith last week, to take a step of faith and ask him to help you to forgive that person. It may be that you're here and you need to go and ask for someone's forgiveness because you have wronged somebody else. Again, the Holy Spirit is here. He wants to help you to do that. It may be that you're here and you need to know the forgiveness of God over your life. You need to know the mercy of God. You need to know that you're forgiven, that you're loved, that you're accepted, that Jesus loves you. And despite all the wrong things you have done, he still loves you and he is for you and he wants to invite you into a relationship with him, to go deeper with him. This morning, that's his invitation to you, to take a step closer to him. Jesus, we thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love that covers us. We thank you that you know we are frail humans, You know the the extent of the human condition, which means we are deeply flawed. And yet, you deeply love us. I pray for us in this moment. Holy Spirit, minister to us. Minister to our hearts and our minds where maybe we're stirred or triggered or upset or we sense you speaking to us, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would lead us gently and show us what our next step is. And as we come to communion and we focus, Jesus, on you and the cross and the sacrifice you made for us, we pray for a fresh wave of your love and mercy to refresh us and to draw us into the truth and the depths of that wonderful act that you did for us. It would be transformative as we take bread, as we take juice this morning. We'd commit ourselves to you again, to walk with you, to love you, to live like you, to carry your kingdom into this world. In Jesus' name, amen.